The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone with my co-host, Lauren Beller-Blake. You're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Lots coming up in this hour, Lauren, even some mm-hmm. surprises. <laughs> Sounds like we're going to have some surprises today. But, yeah, you know, every day is full of them. Uh, yeah, and you just have to go with the flow, so exactly. to speak. And that's exactly what we're going to do because we actually have on the show, and I think he's going to be on in a few minutes, hopefully, is his, uh, his um, this is the National Geographic Channel uh, show, Gulf Oil Spill, which is just terrific. I, I, you know, every day I'm watching CNN and, and trying to get information about it, and was actually even thinking of going down there. I they thought, need every hand they can get. It's yeah, just, is there, but I don't know, is there anything a social worker can do? Because some of the stuff that I read, they want veterinarians, they want people who are scuba divers, uh, and they want... What about talking to the poor people that are losing their businesses and have no income and need someone to talk to to get through it, you know? That's what I thought. How can I get down there and do something? That's exactly what I was thinking. But when you go online and you try to look up those resources, it's not there. I don't think there's anybody, and this is a big issue, and there's nobody coordinating efforts like that at this point. But I think the people, like right on the coastal line that are... have their livelihood is stopped because of this issue. Literally, their their offices and their um, their companies are shut down. So, and what, what are they going to? I mean, I saw people in tears on CNN last night. Well, all right, we have the expert here, Wild Abuse, and he's the producer of the National Geographic Channel special Gulf Oil Spill. So he's here to talk to us about that exactly what happened, what they're going to be doing. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Good morning, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me on the show. All right. So uh, every day, as Lauren and I, you know, just been talking about, I mean, I tune in to find out what happened, what's happening, um, and what can I do uh, to, you know, I'm a social worker. Is anything that I can do to help? Maybe not now. Maybe later. Who knows? But you have exclusive footage from the salvage crews on the scene during the first 36 hours after the disaster. So tell us about it. You know, Catherine, this really is an incredible story. As you were saying, it's not only gripped the U.S., the the entire nation, it's also gripping the entire of the world. I'm here based in London, in in England, and every morning it's the same. It's the newspapers, and the story continues to unfold, and you just can't predict what's going to happen next. And you just watch, and you wait, and you hope that they'll be able to seal that. What we're trying to do on this National Geographic Channel documentary tomorrow night at 10 p.m., what we're doing is actually rewinding the clocks, if only we could in real life, with looking back at where it all began with a blaze on a rig and exploring that first 36 hours, hearing the eyewitness accounts from, from those salvage crews and those Coast Guard uh, rescue workers who were actually out there from, from the moment the, uh, the emergency call came through. So once we see it, the, I was going to say the, actually the world, after, and this is tomorrow night, 10 o'clock, 
Eastern Time, United States? Is That's correct, yeah, 10 o'clock Eastern Time. And tomorrow night, I want to be real specific so people can tune in, is Thursday, Thursday May 27th. Yes. National Geographic Channel. National Geographic Channel. All right, what are we going to see? And then what is, I guess what I'm saying is you, 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 know, you see the footage, I mean, and, and we're going to have the opportunity to do that. What do you think the impact is going to be on, after seeing this, as you say, kind of rolling back the time and being able to witness this whole thing? Um, what, then what? Well, you know, really it's an opportunity to, to remind people that, that the big disaster that, that's occurring at the moment, in those early hours, people didn't know where, what was going to happen next. And it's just a, to remind people, you know, we began with this tragedy. Uh, Eleven people tragically lost their lives. But we, we were fortunate enough to have, you know, U.S. Coast Guard guys, and men and women of the U.S. Coast Guard, who, who were heroic enough to actually head out there. And you can't really imagine what it's like flying out towards a, a, a rig on fire, knowing that you could be having to lift over 100 people from the water. And, you know, it's, it's just a chance to, to celebrate those, uh, those heroes and, and, and actually hear the emotion in their eyewitness accounts. Now, you've been doing this while for not just this disaster, not just the oil spill here, in the Gulf, but you've been working on a whole series, as I understand it, for the past three years. And you, yeah, the, the background is is interesting. I mean, we came at this. I, I've, three years ago, I, I didn't really know much about shipping or ships. I, I certainly didn't know that when ships run into trouble, there are teams of expert marine salvers, engineers, divers who who are based in various points around the world and who are able to scramble to the scene of disasters within 24 hours to try and rescue the ship, make sure the crew are off, bring the ship, uh, put put fires out on ships and bring the ship back to safety. So for us, you know, we spent three years, our team, just following these salvage experts and to, to various locations. And our expectations when we got the call for this one was similar. You know, we thought we'd be heading out watching, filming, capturing that close-up material of these guys extinguishing a fire and bringing a rig back in. No one knew that it would be such a huge disaster. Yeah, a disaster that I'm not so sure. I mean, you talk about, I guess I never thought about this, but there is a disaster preparedness, I guess is what you're saying, for these kinds of horrific events that happen around the world, which you've been following for the past three years. How did you get involved in that? I mean, what, how did you become interested in doing this initially three years ago for doing this, this kind of filming? What got well, as, you? As a documentary filmmaker, I, I work for a, a production company based in London called Steadfast Television, and, and we do shows for National Geographic Channel, and this is something that we, we've been de- developing for years and years. And It was really the chance to... to to capture that kind of, you know, National Geographic Channel's focus is always on the environment. And, and this, this really is a world that people didn't know about, where it's, you know, it's man versus nature. You're battling to save these hulks of metal, and you're fighting the weather. You're fighting all sorts of conditions. And so it, it, it really was, in, in, in England, three years ago, we had a big container ship run up on the beach called the MSE Napoli, spilling containers everywhere. People headed down to the beach, and they were salvaging whatever they could. People were getting away with BMW motorbikes. It was an incredible story here. I think it did make it around the world. And so that film, for me, that was the moment when I was sent out from the office to try and capture what I could of that story. And it's, it's really just continued from there. And, you know, it's interesting. You talk about... It's, and I, I had... I, 
is this a, a man-made disaster, or is the or is this something that is you know and an, not a man-made disaster? Is it a combination of the two between just a natural disaster and a man-made disaster? Well, in this instance, that's exactly what we're watching to wait and see. You know, I mean, that's the, the investigations are looking at that, and each day we you know we 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 catch up with what's going on, see what the latest is. Our film that you'll see on National Geographic Channel tomorrow night at 10 p.m. We, like we said, we, you know, we really do look at that first, those first 36 hours, and we look at what what men and women are doing to try at that point of an emergency, an unknown disaster, to try and save lives, really. Uh, and the the man man-made disaster aspect is is tricky to know about, but we really look at the you know the rescue efforts and, and the attempts to actually put out a fire bring it back and just sometimes it just it's just not possible to extinguish a fire and, and we see that in our in our film tomorrow night. So Wiley, um this is something I, I mean unfortunately I think this is something that's going to obviously continue. I mean you're going to have more uh more of these kinds of disasters and I guess the better prepared we are, I mean when you see these kinds of films you have the information like your documentary film which we can see tomorrow night National Geographic channel, it really does inform the public. I don't think that we've been in we, I mean it's it's sort of something that I don't think that we're informed about. We see things sort of piecemeal after the fact, so putting together this whole documentary film is going to be I think really doing a service to the public, I mean, I think it's really important, I guess, is what I'm saying, because I'm always, you know, you're looking for information, you look online, but nothing's, you don't see a, the whole picture, I guess. This is exactly the thing. You, you always, I mean, the news keeps you updated, but, but you normally feel like you're being kept at a distance. And what we're trying to do on, on this Nat Geo show is really bring people up close to, to, to see what, what was happening up close and personal, really. I mean, that footage, I've seen it a few times, uh, many times, obviously, editing this program together. You, you see this rig ablaze, and you actually see the moment that it goes under, and you hear from, from, from survivors, and just... just seeing the emotion in their eyes, it, it really brings home what a horrendous disaster this was and what a tragedy. You, you can't imagine what it was like to actually have been on board. You know, these, these, these men, who, men and, and, uh, who were just working to provide for their families on shore, it, you know, it, is, it was a tragic loss of lives. And, and this is a chance to contemplate that and also a chance to celebrate the, 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 the brave men and women who actually went out to rescue people. So while you're putting a face on it, it's not just a disaster, natural or man-made. There are people there, and so you're telling, you're telling people's stories, the ones who are the tragic, the loss of people's lives, but also you say the ones who are the heroes or the heroines who are out there. And so you see the faces. It's not just some distant disaster. And, and that, of course, I think that's the most, to me, that's one of the most important part of the piece. It's absolutely all, all about those human stories. I mean, that, that's what's made this series so so exciting to work on. Salvage Code Red that we'd make. You, you, you just follow these guys' problem-solving and engineering in a way that you can really understand and appreciate through, through the eyes of the men and women involved. Um, I mean, you know, the survivor who you hear, hear from in, in, in the film tomorrow night, you know, he talks about the moment when he thought he might not see his wife again. And that really reminds you that this was someone's, this was, this was many people's, not just their workplace, but also their home for many months. And, you know, having to escape for your life and see, seeing your home disappear beneath the waves, it, it really is an unimaginable thing. 
and it has to have an impact on you. That's another interview. <laughs> we only have a couple minutes left, but, you know, doing these documentaries, I mean, you personally, individually, there has to be a whole story that unfolds in your life being witness to all of this. Well, this is the thing. You know, it really, it, you, you just can't stop it from, from, from affecting you and impacting you. Just, it really is a privilege hearing these people's insights and inner psychologies of what it is to see these things. So I just hope that we've been able to capture those, you know, on film for people to really, uh, to really experience uh, in the film. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. And uh, we just want to also uh, remind listeners it's going to be Thursday. Give them the time again. Uh, it, it, National so Geographic it's, it's Channel. 10 o'clock in the evening, Eastern Time, National Geographic Channel. National Geographic Channel. We've been talking to the documentary filmmaker, Wild Dabos. Thank you so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you for having me, Kath. Thank you. Uh, we're going to take a short break, Lauren, because our next guest is here, Ariel Levy. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Lauren Beller-Blake, my co-host, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program, Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. And my co-host is Lauren Beller-Blake, and our next guest is Arielle Levy author of It Could Be Worse, You Could Be Me, an hysterically funny book. It, we're here to talk to Arielle about the book and, and uh, because it just came out just a few weeks ago. Actually, I think, Arielle, you had, well, I'm going to give a little bit of your background here because you have a very impressive uh, resume. This is not her first book. Arielle is a, an author. She writes for an award-winning journalist columnist with the Sunday Times Magazine, has written for The Guardian in the Vogue UK, um, the New York Observer, other publications based in New York. Well, she's based in New York and in London, both. And you can go to ariel-levy.com to go to her website. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you. I just want to say my last name is L-E-V-E because most people would never know that. No, they would. And I was pronouncing it Levy, realized it was Levy, right? Yeah. It, it is pronounced Levy because, like everything else in my life, it's as complicated as possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nothing you've been easy. described. I think somebody, one of the one of the people, you know, the testimonials on the book said you were uh, like David Sedaris or Franny Leibowitz. Well, David Sedaris, you are to me the female David Sedaris. Oh, that's a huge compliment. Thank yeah. you. I love him. Each, it's the book, and I'm. There's just so much in the book, and as I said just before we started talking on the air, we were talking off air, I said I started reading this book, Lauren, and I was like, my boyfriend Barry, I'm like every five minutes saying, oh, you have to hear this, you have to hear this. He had had it. He has to read it. But um, I'm so glad because I think one of the objectives is that it's not gender-specific so that it just appeals to people who are, um, you know, kind of, Neurotic, yes, not neurotic. Do you have to be Jewish and neurotic for this book because it has a lot of Jew. I'm Jewish, but it has a lot of Jewish stuff. Lauren, you're half Jewish, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, I think that it, people who are people who are Jewish will relate to it because it's going to feel very familiar. But that it's also hopefully just observational in a way that is not um, targeted just for uh, Jews. Jews. <laughs> You know what I mean? I think yeah. it just looks at things from a very kind of, um, you know, I examine the minutia of life because that's what really always affects me. Yeah. Well, and that's what life's about. It's that everyday stuff. I mean, it's some of the t- getting through the day, friendship. It's a lot of women, but it is a lot of women stuff, like women getting through the day. I mean, that's the stuff that I identified with. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's there's it's very personal and hopefully a. Um, you know, honest. So I think, obviously, because I'm a woman, there's going to be a lot of, of of stuff about what it's like to be a woman today. And, and how uh, about you're what, 41 years old? I am 42. 42 actually. years old. Yes. Okay, so 42. Not years. make me younger. <laughs> <laughs> I know you were born in 1968. Mother was a poet. Father, yeah. lawyer in uh, Asia. Asia. And you lived with him, I guess, for. A- well, I'm. Um, I had, I lived with both of them. I would, I should also say, my father's not Asian. He actually, he's he's from New York as well. He just moved 
to Thailand when my parents got divorced. So I would go to school here in New York, and then I would spend the summers and half the year in Thailand with him when I was very young. So, so it gave me a perspective of the rest of the world. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Be living in both places and, and go at such a young age. Yeah. Did yeah, it was, I mean, I actually, you know, when you're that age, you don't really know it's not normal. But I just assumed, you know, everyone gets on a plane and goes around the world yes. <laughs> to see their father. <laughs> and at that time also, I think it was, um, you know, it's a little bit easier because there were, you know, kids would travel. You know, you remember there was that time where you just put a kid on the plane with a little laminate on them and they'd turn out at the other end. Um, exactly. I remember. I was, and I'm a lot older than you are. And I, the first plane trip, I, t- I was nine years old, going to visit my grandparents. They put me on one of those little DC three planes, and I was off. Right. Well, this is sort of the same thing, only magnified, so <laughs> around the world. All right. <laughs> it was like stewardesses would escort me. So. Um, yeah. I mean, in retrospect, now I think about it, and I'm like, I can't, and it's just as bizarre to me that that was able to happen, but it was the early 70s, and I guess, you know, obviously it was a lot more of a permissive time because there wasn't the same threats that there are today. Yeah, the world hadn't blown up yet, or hadn't blown up in our face, I guess. Uh, but, Ariel, so let's talk about some of the stuff that, you know, like the specifics in the book, Some of the, okay. especially you're 42, and I want to make you 41, but you're 42, okay, single, not married, this kind of theme keeps, I think it's, there's a theme that revolves around that in the book, um, all the little the vignettes, the stories, because that's who you are and that's how you, uh, New York, that's how you get around in your world as the 42-year-old single woman um, with all of the, I don't know if you call them pressures, but all the stuff that people expect of you or uh, that you have to deal with. Uh, not being married, expectations to be married, to have kids. Right. Um, so, yeah, I do write about that. I mean, I, I think just so your listeners know, the book is a collection of columns that I wrote. Um, for the, It started off as a weekly column called Cassandra, uh, who's the prophetess of doom. And, she, and I wrote this column uh, for the Sunday Times in England, um, and I would write about topical things and things that were either going on in the world and then put my own spin on them or things that were going on in my life. And I always saw things from a very half-empty perspective and tended to hopefully make myself the butt of the joke. So when I was writing about things that had to do with, um, you know, moving through life in a world where most people my age were married with children, I never really felt I was missing out. It's just that other people tended to treat me that way. Um, So, you know, I think not having children and not being married, for me, was just uh, kind of normal, but because of the way other people would react to it, I felt like I had to be, um, you know, defensive. So I think that would be more, when when I was writing about in that section, I think you're referring to the section on romance and romance, yeah. other people's relationships uh-huh. in particular. The, there was always this sense of, um, you know, people looking at me like I like I was somehow defective. 
Yeah. Which made me examine. Maybe I maybe I am. <laughs> It's not impossible. But your relationship with your girlfriends, I mean, you talk about that. I mean, Sophie, that's your girlfriend. I mean, is Sophie still your, that was, I assume that's a real person? Uh, yes, Sophie is a real person, obviously not her real name. Yeah. But um, I think one of the things that I that I do, or try to do at least, is to dissect some of the things that go on in relationships um from the perspective of, you know, what if, I'm, I mean, I'm, I worry, obviously, you can tell from the book, I worry about everything. So, you know, um, I look, I try to imagine the worst case scenario and play that out. And then once I do that, it's okay, because I know I'm prepared. And what's interesting is you talk about your father. Uh, your father's an optimist. You're the pessimist. What happened? Where did he go wrong? Yeah, that's very difficult because we're very close, and he is someone who um, obviously wakes up every day and looks forward to what lies ahead, and, you know, I find that very oppressive. (laughs) Um, I also think it's funny because a lot of people who are optimists tend to proselytize, and everyone else who's not an optimist is somehow in the wrong, whereas I think being a pessimist, there's a lot less pressure because nobody's ever you know, expecting you to be more pessimistic. You know, that's true, and I think that, and today, people, I mean, Lauren, uh, think about all the people we have on the show and the authors, it's all about how to be happy. I mean, most of the stuff is, there's this whole happiness thing going on. Wake up in the morning, feel grateful, feel good, feel happy. Uh, uh, yeah, there is pressure that. to feel happy or to do happy things. Uh, and so... This, I do think there's too much pressure on that. I mean, I, I really... I don't know what's wrong with just being okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. okay. I don't know. I mean, I think it's also, it's a very, um, you know, having spent a lot of time in England, I think it's, an, it's, it's interesting in America because people do feel like if they're not pursuing happiness, obviously it's written into the Constitution. Yeah. It happens. is. The way that's our right. destiny. And if you're not pursuing it, then there's something wrong. So I just sort of assume, I start from the place of, I think, um, looking at life and accepting this is my point of view, and not everyone has to agree with it, but while I'm feeling this way, I might as well try to make it funny, because that's the only way I can bear it. And, and you do do that, and Ariel, so there is a difference, what you would say, between the UK and the US, in terms of how we feel about being happy, <clears throat> or I do, not. I think there is. Some, yeah. Um, I think that people, I mean, obviously I don't want to be the spokesperson for well, you are <laughs> British people in the U.K., but I think that they're a lot more comfortable with not, um, with not self-improving. Does that make sense? It's not so much about, it's like, I think this quest for happiness is, is not so much about being happy because that's so amorphous, but it's about improving everything. Everything has to be improved upon. You are, so, and I, we have to take a break, but you know what? I want to pick up on that because I have an 87 year old mother and I have a story to tell that's related okay. to exactly okay, what you're talking about. How we have to improve, it has to be a better day. You have to do better things. <laughs> you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm your social worker with the microphone talking to Arielle Levy. Lauren Deller Blake is my co host, and it's VoiceAmericaVariety.com World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We will be back in a minute. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is Dr. Vijaya Nair. Together with my dear friend, Dr. Howard Piper, we are hosting our own show called Kiss Your Life Hello. We are two internationally recognized experts, researchers, authors, and health advocates in holistic medicine and counseling. We promise you a fantastic show with interesting guest experts to educate and entertain you with the latest information on mind, body, and spirit wellness. Join us on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you there. If your pets could talk, they'd tell you to tune in to Pet Shop Talk. Join internationally recognized animal massage therapist Lola Jean Michelin every week for a show that covers everything from nutrition, health care, and training for your pet or animal. Lola and her guest experts will bring you the latest trends in the pet care industry. And even if you're not a pet owner, you'll find out why pets do the crazy things they do. Tune in each Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, voiceamericavariety.com, World Talk Radio, and Arielle Levy with Lauren Deller Blake, my co host, talking about her new book. It could be worse, you could be me. Hard to talk about the book because, as we were saying, but we, it's all about Ariel's perspective on life. Um, and it's very funny. And she just, you know, uh, so, uh, but we're, and talking about your perspective, which we were doing before we took the break, Ariel, about what we were talking about the difference. Um, you know, everybody's writing about this book is like, kind of a reality testing in a very funny way. Right. And everybody else is writing, especially in the United States, about how to be happy and everybody's got to be happy and you've got to wake up. And you said it's not just about being happy, but also it's about improving. We have to do better every day. Not quite the case in the U.K. And uh, my mother said to me, or, the, or Brits are maybe more realistic, I don't know, but Americans are always trying to make it a better day. So there's a lot of pressure. My mother, who's 87, she said she feels the pressure. She said her grandmother, who died at the age of 90 plus, she said she was allowed just, she had 12 children and at the end, sit in her chair and relax. And now she said she's 87 and she feels like she's got to be improving and traveling and doing and learning how to, you know, use her computer and her cell phone and her iPod. And it's like, can I just relax at 87? 
It's funny that she feels that pressure. I she mean, does. when I'm 87, if I'm 87, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, I, feel like I'm, I'm, I just can't wait to be 87 when, you know, just getting an apple is an accomplishment. But add this I to your book, like, this um, may not happen to you. <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, I feel like I'm 87 now. I've always been 87. <laughs> I'm, I'm 42 on the outside and 87 on the inside. Um, hey, yeah, go ahead. No, I do think it's just to go back to your um, original point about the difference in America and in Britain, I think that they have, their expectations are a lot lower. And I'm very comfortable in that uh, environment <laughs> because I think that when you have low expectations, there's nowhere to go but up. And, the, no, but you, but in reality, here you, you are a successful writer. Even, I mean, that may be your outlook or your perspective, but yeah. yet you win all kinds of awards for your writing. You've been, I mean, really top awards. So yeah. that, you know, even though given this way of you, you don't have to put the pressure on yourself for improving every day, you do it despite yourself. Well, you know, people say to me all the time, and this is, I, if I had to say one underlying theme of the book, this would be it. People say to me all the time, it's, it'll work out. And my response to that is, how do you know? <laughs> and I always feel that anxiety, no matter how good it's going to be, it, something's going to go wrong. And a lot of people would say, well, that's what, you know, that's what is the impetus for my writing, which obviously is a good thing. But when I'm not working, I'm just sort of ruminating on all of the many things that are going to go wrong. So I just think it's in my nature. I really can't, you know, believe me, people have tried to help me. <laughs> it's a very frustrating experience for them. Um, and also, you know, from a more serious point of view, I think just because to the outside world, a lot of people think, um, you know, if you're worrying about things, you're not grateful for what you have. I'm very grateful for what I have, and I, and I do recognize that I'm lucky Mainly because of my health, I'm lucky I'm healthy, but um, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that I don't worry about it all going away. I, I worry about the. I mean, I know Lauren doesn't. You, she she has a totally different. Uh, I'm speaking for you, Lauren. But I oh, just, okay. Lauren, are you in shock? Are you yes. No, I'm not in shock. I think what it's I'm very saying. common. I have lots. I know lots of people that worry a ton, and I think it's okay. That's just how we cope, you know. Well, I think there's this other this other. Um, I mean, again, this is a little serious, but there's a way, there's a, there's something called defensive pessimism. And I've talked to the woman who is sort of uh, responsible for naming that. But I think that in a nutshell, what it means is that if you prepare for the worst, then um, it's a way of coping with the uncertainty of life. Mm -hmm. And that for a lot of people like me and like a lot of people who see the world naturally half empty, it's a good coping mechanism because yeah. it allows you to, to, to try things. It's just you're not as paralyzed and disappointed when they don't work out. Well, I'll always, I say, and this bothers, well, which I have my boyfriend that I talked about at the beginning of the show, Ariel, is uh, we've been together for 20 years. He's an only child. I think there's an only child piece to Oh, yeah. Because you're an only child. And yeah. I see some of the way he, you know, you talk about this isn't just for women, the book, and it's not. 
uh, he has that kind of added outlook that you have. It's a, it's an only child outlook. A little bit of that pessimism. Maybe it's because he never really had to struggle in the beginning with siblings and and all the stuff and comp- competition for his parents. Whatever it is. So there's always like there's not the go with the flow that I have. I'm much more like okay, it's going to happen. The worst is going to happen. We'll deal with it. Yeah, I think that's also because you're you're. I mean. Talking about being an only child, that's a whole other show. It is. <laughs> but I think yeah. that you become um, very capable of dealing with things on your own, and yet at the same time, so it's like the big things you can handle, but it's sweating the small stuff that that becomes kind of problematic. And as you know from the book, I have a whole section called Sweating the Small Stuff, which is basically all the things that I can't control and that I worry about are the things that I um, obsess over, whereas, you know, in the big, big life problems and crises, I can totally handle it. So I think that might be traced back to being an only child, which is knowing you can kind of get through anything, but the day-to-day is a lot more, uh, you know, complicated. Oh, exactly, the day-to-day, which to me always seems to, what are you talking, what's the problem? Talk about that chapter. Okay, what are, what's the small stuff? Because that's, that's the stuff that gets in the way, especially with our, my relationship with him, because that, it's like, it's, to me, it's like, what, why are you ruminating over that? What's the problem? And what does he say? Generally. He can't help it. He, he, he just, you know, I never get a straight answer. It's always, <laughs> it's right. Well, so I want you to. It's easier. I'm going to ask you. I, I, it's just he can't help it. He just it, it's, um, the, you know, all those little things. It's like an irritant. It's sort of like the princess and the pea kind. Remember that old story? Oh, that yes. oh yes. Um, the, he know, feels the pea under the mattress that's like four feet thick. Yes, I, know. I could have a boulder I, underneath it, and I'm like, oh, you know, I didn't I, know there was I anything that, there. Um, I think that that stuff. I mean, this is just, I think that it's a lot easier to focus on those little things because they're immediate and they're in some ways um, the, I'm a great procrastinator. I don't know about your husband, but I, I tend to procrastinate. And so if I can focus on, it's like, it's like rather than write my piece. I have to deal with my bills, yep. you know, and so it's like if I could just get the bills paid and I could just get everything else in order, then I could focus on the big thing I have to do. But, of course, when you focus on all the little things, there are all these little things that come up that trip you up and that you have to deal with. And so I guess a philosophical answer to that is it's all about just putting things off, <laughs> <laughs> like putting them off until basically you die and then yeah. you don't have to deal with them at all. And that's what's ultimately going to happen. You're right. And, yes, putting up, you know, you can pay the bills. You've got to go to the gym. You have to, you know. Yeah, it's like focusing on the, you know, it is really focusing on the small stuff. I mean, people say to me, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. I'm like, really? That's all I sweat. (laughs) That's it. Or they say, don't focus on the past. That's all I focus on. <laughs> and so does he. And I keep saying, uh, the past is over. It's done. I'm not saying it doesn't have an impact on you, but why? It's gone. Forget you learn about from it and move on. Some people are not as good at, with that. <laughs> and, that <laughs> and I think that, that's the, 
those are the people that relate to the book. It's like all the people who who have the healthy, strong, you know, uh, well-adjusted people in their life telling them what they're doing wrong. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but uh, but mine course. is a manual in that way. I mean, it's not literally a manual, but I think, you know, just from the title, it could be worse, you could be me. People who actually do things wrong and feel bad about it, if they read my book, they won't feel so bad. They'll know I'm actually worse off than they are. Exactly. It's that schadenfreude. It's a, yes, it's very affirming. It is. An uplifting experience to read about my life. And I have to say, I mean, I do identify with a lot of the worrying stuff that you're talking about. It's not that I'm just so, you know, everything is wonderful, but because, I mean, there are some very specific things in the book that I, I definitely... Uh, I make fun of myself, you know. I mean, I think that's actually something also that is a little bit different in America than in Britain, which is there's a great tradition there of self-deprecating humor. And I am very, you know, I really respond to that. And it's in my nature to be very self-deprecating and to write in that way where I make fun of myself first before anybody else can. Yeah. And I think that here in this country there's a real bias against that because if it's seen as almost putting yourself down. Why are you putting yourself down? That's a lot of people say that to me all the time. I think it's actually healthy to be able to, you know, laugh at yourself. Well, I hope so. I don't really have a choice. I mean, I was always, I was raised that way. And that's part of the Jewish thing, I think, you know, you just um you have to make everything funny. So yeah, we've got the Jewish, the only child. You've got the whole thing there. Um, have you ever, have you ever sat down? I have to ask you this: Have you ever sat down with David Sedaris, the two of you together? No, I have not. I would love to. If you, you know him, send him my way. <laughs> I don't know him, but I could just. It would be just a, to me an int- interesting conversation because you really the male. Uh, to me, you are the male and female counterpart of each other. Okay, oh, we got a couple that, minutes again, left. Do we want to get specific compliment. about the Thank book you. so that we can get readers out there and buy this book because it's it's really definitely worth reading. It could be worth it. You could be me, Ariel Levy. Uh, website ariel levy.com. That's right. And are you going to be doing any more? Bo- I'm sorry, I missed you. Book signings because you were in New York City right, a few weeks ago at uh, Lincoln Porter. Center. Yeah, I am. Uh, I don't have anything at the moment. The BEA, which is uh, tomorrow, is the next thing on the agenda. But um, I will definitely list things on my website if they come up when they come up. Okay, so that we can follow you. Yes, and you can follow me on. Um, Twitter. <laughs> Such a are weird you, sentence. You, can you are Twittering. Me. But, um, but I think also that's a good place just for information because I list what I'm doing there. Okay, great. And also so you, what I'm not doing. <laughs> what you'd like course. to be doing and maybe you'll be doing it. Who knows if a disaster doesn't befall you. But it, it could be worse. You could be me, Arielle Levy. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Oh, thank you very much for yeah, having me. Great to have you. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Deller Blake. Uh, we're your co-hosts, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, uh, World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Best Boomer Towns delivers the inside scoop on the best 21 places to relocate or retire in the U.S. Listen to columnists, town bloggers, and local residents as we highlight a town each week. Talk show host Nancy Shaka brings you the best and the brightest. As a baby boomer, you experienced Beatlemania, Woodstock, Vietnam, and the women's movement. Today, you're educated, health-minded, and thinking about where to spend your future. Tune in at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, to Best Boomer Towns every Thursday on the Voice America Variety Channel and start planning the best rest of your life. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back, Catherine Sock, VoiceAmericaVariety.com with Lauren Beller-Blake. Hey, Lauren. Hello, Catherine. Well, you were quiet during that. You're one I of those... was taking it in. She was funny. She was good. I was so interested to hear how people. other... She was, she was very vulnerable. She really shares how she thinks. And um, I just was taking it in. You know, it's interesting to hear how other people... Their, our worlds are so different, and it was interesting to hear her choices and her, um, her ways of thinking. It was well, fun. buy the book. Get the book. You will. I, will. I added it to my list. Yeah, add it to your list because if you're, I mean, you're always doing a zillion different things, and I know you are now. You're like totally, really busy. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of book you take, you sit down, and you just laugh. Funny. Yeah. Good. And, good. And good. there it's is a, a whole yeah. woman's perspective. I mean, we kind of focused on a lot of different pieces, but you know, there's a whole part of like the hilarious part that you can definitely identify with so much of the stuff in the book. I will for yeah. sure. So interesting dynamics today between Gulf oil stuff and, you know, the minutiae of life and being able to get caught up in it. Exactly. And then how do you do the balance? Oh, especially between those two, what differences of energy, you know? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the whole Gulf oil thing is, you know, to me, it's so difficult for me. I don't want to incorporate it in a way. I mean, I don't want to think about it because it's, I know it's so... I keep using the word awful, which really isn't very descriptive, but it is, it's, it's something that's going to be so, over a period of time, detrimental to us and our country. 
I totally agree. And I don't want to think about that um, because I don't. I feel like I don't have any control over that at all. It's just so massive. Yeah. Economically, I mean, you're there. You're in Texas. I mean, you're very close. Very close. Yep. And I had uh, friends that went to down to Corpus Christi this past weekend, and I asked, you know, was there oil? It's, the oil's not going that direction. But, you know, it's so big, it could. You know, it's just it's so close. And I just am so sad for the people that had businesses that were relying on clean water in the Gulf. I just, it's just my, I can't, like, that is overwhelmingly sad for me. But we all do. I mean, those businesses aren't just confined, oh, trust, confined yeah, to those Gulf You're states. right. I was out at a restaurant the other day, ordered fish, and the fish said, um, fresh from the Gulf. I thought, you're going to change your menu because I don't think I want to order that. But who would? I mean, fresh from the Gulf. Oh, did you say anything? No, I didn't because, you know, I'm sure who, you know, it's too quick. I didn't think to change their menu. And quite frankly, they're probably still getting it. I've heard that 20% of the fishing in the Gulf is closed. So there's still 80% that they're fishing in the Gulf. But it's going to expand and get bigger and bigger and bigger. I read somewhere, and we have to see the show tomorrow night, the National Geographic Channel, but, uh, and because. And this is just this piecemeal stuff that I find online, but it was something about some of the oil is not coming to the surface yet, but it's all underneath. It's not as if it's not there. It's just it hasn't surfaced. So you've got all this guck. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's, it's just yeah, it's overwhelmingly. That's something that I guess I worry about. It's a diff, I don't know if I'd say worry. I just feel so like what is our world going to do about this issue, you know, and what will we do to stop the from happening like this again? Well, what about the combination here? We can get really pessimistic, but, you know, we talk about the difference. Is it man-made or is it something that's uh, a natural disaster, a combination of both, because I think that's the big question. And some of the stuff, you know, when you're living on the edge, when like as a country, and I keep thinking that we're getting to this point, and I don't want to be pessimistic, but it's, if you're always living on the edge, one more disaster could put you right over the edge, disasters that you can't handle. For instance, the ash problem is not, I mean, that's just a natural disaster, but it's caused economic havoc, through, not with the airline industry in Europe, throughout the world. So when you create your own, like the oil spill, then you keep adding these other natural disasters that you, we can't do anything about. There, at a certain point, there's a critical mass where you can't rectify things. Yeah, you can't recover from it. I do yeah. agree with that. Like, will yeah, it's a it's a big thing. So I do think it goes back to um, you know being responsible for what we can be responsible for, and it's it's interesting because it is about the small stuff. We can only be responsible for the small stuff. So as what, humans, and, as yeah. humans, as in, each individual human. And is that going to, but is that enough? That's a great question. I do think that there's some of us that are called to be responsible for bigger stuff. Uh-huh. Are we you one know? of them? I think everybody could be if they choose to take it on. Like you said, I have a pull to go down and do something. I think you should go. I do. You should go. Go this week. I was thinking of going two weeks from now, actually. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, I, seriously, I, I, I have, and I'm very serious, but I don't want to just, this is the other thing, you know, people want to help and they want to do, and, and uh, you know, the, the documentary filmmaker who was on our show, as he said, you know, he, the film is about people, heroic people, like when, when this whole thing erupted, like what people did and, and are able to do. 
the other thing is, though, you know, you have a, a good heart. You want to go down and do something, but if you're not, if there's not a plan, you can get get in the way. I mean, it's true. You know, if, if there's not a plan, but I, I there's got a, within two weeks, there might be someone that can help guide you. But I don't even think you could walk. You know, this this is crazy to me. Um, I mean, it's crazy, but I would. If I were in your shoes, I would do it. Again, I always make the excuse right now that I have a four-year-old and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not taking her with me and life is a little bit of a craziness. Yeah. Um, you could walk the street closest to the to the ocean, you know, to the Gulf and notice what's going on and I think to stop and talk to people and they'd be just that you never know what that conversation will do for them. You don't have to have it big, be big and formal. Sometimes a 10-minute conversation that gives them hope or gives them, some, you know, something. Will, or that gives... You know, as a, a radio person or as somebody who could perhaps get their information out there, and as you say, it doesn't have to be a formal interview. But it, it not can, at all. No, I think sometimes those one-on-ones. Like I was always, I was really making up that after I saw Anderson Cooper's um, interview last night, and he was interviewing a couple that their shrimp place, their shrimp, I don't know what they call it, had, I don't know what it is, their shrimp business was like literally closed. They couldn't. There was no shrimp, and she started to cry on, you know, on TV, and the t- the interview was over. And I just can imagine his conversation after, you know, after the cameras were shut off, that he probably was really supportive. And what a gift of him for him to just be there to listen and to offer encouragement and hope. Yeah, that's a good example, of, you know, obviously of what you're talking about. And yes, and I think a lot more people could could do that and and well it's hearing people's stories and letting them tell their stories and uh and then being able to do something about it no you I, I didn't see that that I probably can see the clip online yeah it was it was um last night yeah I'll look for it today i mean i and then there's the point where how much can you like just individually and emotionally stand like how much can you take when when i have to then just let go and do something that's happy or frivolous or i just don't want to Think yeah. about this. Um, a walk on your quiet neighborhood that's healthy and happy. And there's 100 degrees. Talk about the weather change. And I think I heard that. It's 100 degrees here. You're not going to complain about that, are you? I get that every day. It's right. been 100. It's been 95 degrees there for a week. But you. But I say you choose to live in. <laughs> I to, so that. I love it when it's 95. Oh, it's painful. A lot of people say that. But it's real. It is just. Well, you don't have any oil on your front yard? No. It's all Clear perspective. Skies. I don't want to say it because it's like REL. If I say it and it's going to be a good day, something disastrous exactly. will happen. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want it to happen. I mean, and, and I do feel sometimes, do you ever feel this way? Like, oh, everything is great. What a wonderful day. And I'm, But I think I'm really going to enjoy it because I know tomorrow something is going to happen that's going to change this. Something, well, I see if it's perfect. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I totally savor that. I think that it's worth savoring because if I say that, then it puts a dark cloud over it. No, I savor it, but I'm also aware of it's going to change. It will change. I always think that I love that saying, this too shall pass. And we say that when it's bad. I say that when it's good. Like, savor it because this too is going to pass. Yeah. And on that, we're going to say goodbye. (laughs) Have a good week. Have a great week. I'm Catherine Sox, and we've been, Lauren Beller, Blake, and I uh, have been talking to you for the past hour. I hope you had a great time. You've been listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Um, We'll see you next week. 
hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.